Ephesians chapter 2, I'm just going to read it, and then we'll go from there. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. It reads, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Holy Spirit. So we pick it up here where we, where we left off from in Ephesians chapter 2. And remember we left it off saying, you know, in verse 10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we'd walk in them. Therefore, so because of this fact that you were created by God in his workmanship for good works, therefore, remember who you formerly were. Number one on your note sheets there. Remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. Isn't that like, we have that sentiment with a lot of things, right? Go off and be something in the world, but don't forget that little town you came from. Don't forget who you were. It's this nice sentiment, right? It's not quite as nice in this context. But we're supposed to remember, Paul talks about this just a little bit in the past couple verses as well, who you once were. Don't forget it. Don't dwell in it. Don't make it who you are. But don't forget. Um, I'm covered in scars on my arms and hands from various different things, most of them my own stupidity. But my favorite one, I won't call it my favorite one, my most prominent one is a little circle right here on my wrist. I was in high school and I was coming out of a shed. It had been raining. There was a board and I was walking on the board. My foot slipped out from under me. I reached up to the door to grab myself so I wouldn't tumble which I successfully did. But in so doing, I shoved a hook in my arm. It hurt a lot. And so I have this constant reminder here, and you know what it reminds me? Don't walk on wet boards, they're slick. Had to learn the lesson the hard way, apparently. I walked in and showed Daddy, and he goes, don't do it again. Thanks, Dad. Obviously, wasn't that bad a wound. I have a few others. I have a mark right here on my hand from when we had a lawnmower. Some of you are going to understand this sort of thing. We had a lawnmower at which the, the pull chain had broken. So you couldn't pull it to start it anymore. So you had to go right down next to the engine and 
pull it like this and throw a zip tie on it. And then it would run, and you'd mow the lawn, and then when it was time to be done, you'd have to pull it back together and take the tie off. Well, the one time when I was taking the tie off, I got a little too close, touched it. It burned so badly that it immediately blistered in the split second before I could pull my hand away from it, and it tore the blister off. That's how hot this thing was. So I have a constant reminder on my hand, don't be an idiot with hot things. Be a little smarter than that. But we all have these scars, right? We all have scars that remind us. You might have, I mentioned some physical scars, right? We all have emotional scars as well. I've talked a lot about my past and the emotional scars that they've left on my life. Um, and it's part of who we are. It's part of what makes us up. I always like there's a song, and I forget the name of it, but in the song, it's, it's talking to Christ, to God, and, he's, and she says, heal the wounds, but leave a scar, a reminder. And I love that because God very often will heal our emotional wounds. He heals our physical wounds too. The fact that these healed means that he was working. But he heals our emotional wounds, but he leaves that scar, a reminder so that we remember what he was teaching us. I don't look at my scars and go, hmm, well, I better do that again sometime. I look at my scars and I go, huh, man, I was an idiot. Not going to try that again. Because the pain, there's no actual pain there anymore. But sometimes you just have that like little flicker in your head of that pain coming back. And you go, I don't want that anymore. The same thing happens for us when we remember who we once were. We were formerly Gentiles in the flesh. Now, Paul oftentimes in the New Testament uses Gentile and Jew or circumcised and uncircumcised. And it does not always mean, sometimes it does, but it does not always mean literally somebody who was circumcised or somebody who was not and in, or somebody who was a Gentile and somebody who was not. Most of the time in the New Testament, what is referring to there is the circumcised or the Jew are those who are Christians. And the Gentile or the uncircumcised are those who are not. Normally that's what it refers to. And that's what we see here. You were Gentiles in the flesh. You were not of Christ. And you were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcised, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. The other aspect that's happening here is, in early Christianity... It was taught that in order to become a Christian, you had to become a Jew first. In order to become a Jew, you had to be circumcised. That's the process that some early Christians were trying to teach. That's why we see in Acts that Paul and Peter and the other apostles meet in Jerusalem. And this is the big question on the table. Do you have to be circumcised? Do you have to be a Jew in order to be a Christian? And they come out with the correct answer, which is no, you do not. But Paul is referencing here both the, the physical, you are not saved, and also the fact that there were those who thought themselves higher than you. But this was performed by human hands. It's not a spiritual thing. It's a human hands thing. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember the time when you were separate from Christ. Not to revel in it, not to, 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 to beat yourself up with it, but remember where you were. 
I've talked a few times with various different people, Maddie, uh, my dad, and a few others. I know who I would be if I wasn't a Christian. And that man scares me. And I pray I never forget who that man would be. Because I've seen glimpses of him in the mirror. I've seen glimpses of him at times when I've said, I don't want to be this Christian walk. I don't want to do it. I've seen just the briefest glimpses of who that man would be. And I don't ever want to be that man. But if I forget who that is, then what's stopping me? Not to remember, not, you know, it's not a, you know, I know people that have said, well, you know, you could, you should go. I, I literally had a friend in college. I had an acquaintance in college who told me that in his, his ministry that he thought God was calling him to. Now, notice I'm using the word him. This is a guy. His ministry was to go into um, uh, strip clubs and such and preach the gospel to the women in there. And I said, are you an idiot? Now, does everybody need the gospel? You bet they do. You should do it when they're fully clothed. Just saying. And his response to me was, God will protect me. And I'm like, because you're being an idiot. God never asks you to toe the line. God is not asking you to toe the line of who you once were. Just to remember what it would look like. So that you never go back to it. If you recognize in your life the times when you're getting worse and worse, it's usually because you've forgotten who you were. You forget that Christ was separate from you. You forget that you were without hope. So remember it. So that's number one. Remember where you came from. Number two, brought near. Number two, brought near. In verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who are far off. This is not a, uh, an actual distance, right? It wasn't for people that were hundreds of miles away. It's you were far off spiritually. And you're brought near by the blood of Christ. We talked about this a few weeks ago. That it's all by the blood of Christ. Here we see it again. Paul says, you were brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, I'm in verse 14. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one, broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is, excuse me, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that he himself might make the two into one man, one new man, thus establishing peace. His whole point was to bring together sides that were so separate that they couldn't be brought together again. And here's the thing. We read here that it was not just God to humanity. That was the big part. Please don't misunderstand me. But it was also Gentile and Jew brought together to be gods. It's a nice little triangle sort of thing. There was this enmity. The Jews hated the Gentiles. Even though there was the Gentile court in the, in the temple, Gentiles could be, I believe wholeheartedly, that there are Gentiles from that time period, the Old Testament time period, who are in heaven. Because there was the Gentile court. We like to say, well, God only invited the Gentiles in because the Jews failed. Now, from the very beginning. Now, Abraham and his descendants were his chosen people. But he always had a way for the Gentiles to come in as well. But in this, in Christ, he says, these two enemies 
I'm going to bring them together into one new man, one body, one spirit, one father. That's it. There won't be separation anymore. And I love that he says he is our peace. I'm in verse 17 here. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. His whole message was peace. Peace, 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 peace. Now, I've said it before, I'll always say it. I'm not a peacemaker. I'm a fighter. I like to say it's the brush in me, and I'm always corrected that it's not the brush, it's the Freeman side that had the fight in them. I don't know. All I know is I like to get into it with people. But God says Christ, who was perfect, right, preached peace. So I better be doing the same. And here's the great thing. Christ didn't just preach it with his mouth. He preached it with his actions. So I better be preaching it with my actions as well. And he preached it to those who were far away, those who had no idea, those who couldn't get it. And he preached it to those who were near, those who knew so much that they missed it. He preached it to both because both needed him. Both were actually far off. Some were just more intelligent than others. Maybe not even intelligent. They had more learning than others. In the words of my esteemed father, they were educated beyond their intelligence. It's one of his favorite sayings. We all know people like that. It's all right. Sometimes I'm like that. Probably too often. So he preaches peace. He abolishes this en enmity. And he, act he gains, not he gains, he gives us access to the Father. Before Christ dies and the veil is torn, how many people in a lifetime had access to God the Father? One, the high priest, one day a year, could go into the Holy of Holies. That's it. That's it. And Christ said, that won't do. I'm going to break down this wall that divides Jews and Israelites, or Jews and Gentiles, excuse me. And I'm going to break down this wall that divides God from the people. And he gives us access to the Father. And I love this in verse 18. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. One spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. It's all done. It's done through the blood of Christ. And then the Holy Spirit takes over. And is the one that indwells us and Jews us. So number one, remember where you came from. Number two, brought near. Number three, Christ alone, our cornerstone. One of my favorite songs, Cornerstone, I have always loved that song. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now, what is the importance of a cornerstone? I'm not a mason, I don't build, but I do know this. The cornerstone was the first stone put in. And everything else for the foundation spreads out from it. If the cornerstone is crooked or not aligned perfectly, that the foundation is useless. It won't stand anymore. The house itself is going to be kind of, you know, if you took a square and like ticked it like that, 
That's what would happen if the cornerstone is not right. The foundation doesn't matter without the cornerstone. It's the same thing I've, I've seen him uh, referred to as well, not in scripture as much, but in, in our analogies, as the keystone. The keystone, of course, is in an arch. And without the keystone, the very middle stone at the top, the rest of the arch would fall down. That keystone provides enough pressure to keep together the rest of the arch. It's the same idea. Without that single stone, the rest of it is useless. The apostles, the prophets, everybody, useless without the cornerstone. Now, we, church, I'm sad to say, are not the foundation. We're windows and walls and floors and stuff like that as this house keeps getting built throughout the ages. The foundation is the apostles and the prophets that came before them. The men and women who laid the foundation for the church, they are the foundation. Here's the great thing. If the keystone is right and you get off a little bit on the foundation, you can take that part out, throw it away, and continue on. Sometimes God takes away certain parts because it's a bad piece of wood and he puts it back in there. A different piece. But we see that Christ alone is the whole, he's the cornerstone of everything. We like to say he's the cornerstone of our salvation, which is true. He's also the cornerstone of all creation. Christ was the creator. We like to think of God the Father as the creator. I'm sorry to tell you, you're incorrect. We read in Colossians, uh, there's one in Romans, I believe, and one other book where it says very clearly that Christ was the creator. It's an interesting little tip. It doesn't really matter. No, because they're one but separate. You know, we're not going to get into that quite today. Although, my mom told me this one yesterday. We're always looking for new ways to explain the idea of the Trinity to kids, right? So, I, I really like candy corn. I know that it's just essentially frosting that's been hardened. I know that it gets hatred among the masses. I don't care. I enjoy it, especially the pumpkins. But, so candy corn, right, has three colors. Yet it's one piece of candy corn. That's how mom kind of explains the Trinity sometimes. Is it perfect? No. Do we have a humanly way of perfectly explaining the Trinity? No. But I kind of found that one cool, and also I enjoy candy corn, so I liked that one more than, you know, water. You know, you've heard the water one. Water exists in three different states, but it's all water. Okay, technically four because there's plasma as well, but we won't get into that. You're looking funnily, Linnea. Are you questioning the plasma state? It is the most abundant thing in the universe is plasma. There are four states. Mr. Mazikowicz taught me this. I don't know, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. Way too many times. There is at least three stages of water. I'm pretty sure. Told you, we're way off track now. So, the cornerstone of Christ. He's the cornerstone of everything. Your life, creation, your salvation, everything. He's the cornerstone of it. And the whole house is built upon him. Everything. 
That's why I say it's so important. Um, Maddie, do you want to go tell mom real quick that we're, we're closing up? Thank you. It's so important if you're trying something or if you're preaching the gospel, put everything back on Christ. Don't put it on yourself. Don't put it on what Paul says. Don't put it on, put it on Christ. He's the cornerstone. He is the infallible piece in the whole equation. Everything else is fallible. Every apostle, every prophet, every person that has come after that has helped build this house, they are fallible. The cornerstone is not. So put everything on it. It's not going to crack under the pressure. My dad always said, give it to me. I can handle it. I've got broad shoulders. That was kind of his thing, right? He's the dad. He's the husband. He's the man. Put it on me. I'll, I'll hold it. I've got broad shoulders. Well, you know what? Jesus Christ has pretty broad shoulders. You can put everything on him. And he, uh, he once held everything as he hung on the cross, so it's not like he's not used to it. I love this idea that we're all made into one, one body, one person, through one spirit. But it all started with our chief cornerstone, Christ Jesus, who everything is being laid upon and laid with. In this house that you and I get to be part of, yes, we don't get to be the foundation, but we get to be a part of the house that's being built. That last verse there talks about that. You and I were something special, not because of us, but because of Christ and then the Holy Spirit in us. Remember where you came from. Remember who you were. And I hope that it scares you. It scares me. Not you guys, me. Me scares me. Remember who you were so that you keep looking forward to who Christ has made you into and celebrate it. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you. We love you. We thank you that you sent Christ to live and to die and rise again for us so that we could be made one. So that there's no more separation between Jew and Gentile, between circumcised and uncircumcised. And so that we can become one with you. Father, I ask that you would help us to remember who we were, but not in a, oh man, I got to get close to that again. No, no. But in a, wow, I can't believe that's who I was. Thank you, God, for pulling me out of this and then allowing me to continue on. Father, we praise you. We love you. It's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen. Amen.